Welcome back to Real Talk with Caleb. You know the deal, fam. Around here, we keep it real. Hard to kill. Today, I want to talk to you a little bit about a lunchtime conversation I had the other day with a couple of our company-grade officers, and that's our captains, uh, or I should say lieutenants through captains in the United States Air Force. For our civilian audience, think, uh, you know, probably your entry-level to, to mid-level management uh, leadership, so to speak, in your, your normal corporation uh, within the civilian sector. So what I want to do this time is a little bit different than even the Real Talk briefs that I've done in the past. It's going to be broken up into different segments. Uh, you have the option to listen to it uh, in its entirety, uh, the totality of the podcast, or break it down into sections on uh, the WordPress.com website that I have. You can go on there and listen to it in the segments. But let's jump right into it. Uh, I got invited out by a friend of mine who used to be prior enlisted and, and joined the officer corps, if you will, went through Air Force Academy. Uh, the one and only Captain Clayton Logan. Uh, what an outstanding officer, uh, outstanding airman that that gentleman is. But invited me out to, to talk to the officers in his seminar, in his class. And they asked me four, uh, four questions. They asked me a lot more than four, but uh, four questions that I want to share. The responses that I had to those questions, uh, obviously the academic uh, environment, there's some what we call academic freedom, and, and that's kind of where... Uh, we speak a little more freely, and, and we're not going to do that on the podcast, of course, but I still think there's value. I really believe there's value added. They ask some great questions, package those answers up in this format uh, so that we can spread uh, the leadership growth and, and development from a coaching standpoint, if you will, out across the airwaves. So without further ado, y'all, let's get into it. Question number one. What is our role in preventing and or eliminating toxic culture and when and what rank does that start? I, I like to start out with asking what exactly is toxic culture? What is toxic leadership? What is toxicity? You know, a lot of times we hear it within our organizations and in the military amongst our formations about this leader is toxic and that leader is toxic and this is a toxic culture and this is a toxic environment. So when I approached this question, my response to this question to our young leaders, I wanted to make sure that we were on a, a firm foundation, a, an agreed upon position of what toxicity is or what a toxic culture and environment is. So we went through this conversation and I asked questions back and forth and we got to a, an agreed upon position uh, that, that it, it stems from narcissism. It stems from people deliberately uh, creating environments in which people are not going to be able to be successful, uh, at least by the nature of just doing their job and showing up and being the best person that they can be within that job. It's people that are very deliberate about either gaslighting uh, or taking other means uh, and steps required to bring down or uh, you know, undermine those people around them, whether they be higher in rank or lower in rank or equal in rank. So we arrived at that agreed upon position of what toxicity is. And then we delved into when does it start, what rank, what level of responsibility does it start at that we should eliminate that? You, if you've ever listened to me, you know exactly what I'm already thinking. That exists, that responsibility exists no matter what level you're at. Now, obviously, if you're at a lower level within the organization, your level of responsibility is less meaning that you, you, no one uh, from a higher grade is going to look down uh, to, let's say, if you're an A1C in the United States Air Force and Airman First Class and say, why didn't you stop this toxic environment? Uh, so I didn't approach it from that angle. The angle I take or the perspective in which I address this is, no matter what level in the organization you are, 
I feel as a human being, you have a responsibility as a professional within the profession of arms and as it pertains to the United States military, you have a responsibility to address and help eliminate toxicity and toxic cultures and toxic environments. So there is no one particular rank that it starts at. However, when we're talking about our entry to mid-level supervision and entry to mid-level managers and leaders that have been called and have been entrusted, appointed, especially as the officers have been appointed and entrusted to lead, motivate, and inspire a nation's sons and daughters, it is definitely our responsibility to set a positive environment. So how do we set a positive environment which will eliminate toxic culture? Again, depending on the level that you're at, and we're addressing it from the uh, addressing it, excuse me, from the entry initial to, to mid-level management, you might find yourself in a flight. In the Air Force, you might find yourself in a flight commander, a flight senior NCO leadership role, and the organization as a squadron might have a cult or a toxic culture. But what are you doing within your flight, within your area of responsibility? So it is our responsibility to set a good culture. Well, how do we go about doing that? And it is most basic function. It starts at caring about the human being. Of course, in the military and in your organization and a civilian organization, you have to get after the bottom line. For us in the Air Force, the bottom line is our nation's defense. We have to do mission. We have to get after mission. We have to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. Your organization, the bottom line might be financial. That bottom line has to be met. But how do we go about executing mission? How do we go about executing our processes and our procedures to get to that bottom line? Well, it's about caring about our people. So if you care about your people, knowing their birthdays, knowing their first names, knowing what makes them tick, might be possible in some cases, but not in all cases, depending on the size of your organization. But what I have our young leaders focus on, what is your circle? What is that circle of development and coaching that you should have, that you do have? That's where you need to spend the majority of your time. As an example, if we're talking about this mid-level management leadership position, that next level right below you, whether that be in the Air Force, say like your technical sergeant or your NCO level if you're a senior non-commissioned officer. And if you're that captain, maybe it's that lieutenant that's around you, right? Or maybe it's some of those NCOs as well. What, how much time and effort are you putting into coaching them? How much time and effort are you putting into getting to know them, getting to know their names, getting to know what makes them tick? Because that's a smaller circle, right? That, hey, let's face it, we are not capable as humans, at least the majority of us are not, and there might be one or two that are capable of this, but spanning, excuse me, the entire organization where you're going to know everyone and everything. You can be cordial and respectful and professional with everyone, right? And when you have the opportunity to cross paths with anyone in the organization, absolutely spend time with them, get to know them. However, if you're spending all the time in the world, in the military, right? If I'm a master sergeant and I'm spending all of my time with the airman first class, one, I'm, I'm potentially degradating what that NCO's credibility is, right? And also, I'm not spending, I don't have enough time if I'm doing that to spend time developing my NCO's. So you can apply that to whatever level of organization you're in, whether it's military or non-military, knowing that circle that's right around you that you're supposed to be developing. Support, motivate, encourage, lead, and inspire everyone, of course. But coaching and developing and setting that culture which is going to lead to eliminating or preventing toxic, toxicity and toxic culture and toxic environment starts right there in your circle. So as a young leader, 
I shouldn't even say that, but as a leader, what are you doing within your circle of influence, your span of control, to make sure that you're developing coaching and inspiring that next level of leadership that's supposed to replace you as you move along? What are you doing to make sure that that is not toxic, that that is full of uh, passion and inspired leadership? Once you solve that, guess what? You're gonna be holding them accountable to do the same thing to the echelons around them. And then we have to manage up, right? So saying you've taken care of that, what are you doing as a leader to manage up? Setting the example of what the others around you should be doing. Again, understanding your area of control and your sphere of influence. Was there ever a time that you were just done? And why did you stay if there was ever a time that you were done? 100%. Keeping a 100 here. We know the deal. We keeping it real. Absolutely, there's been times. There's been multiple times throughout my career where I thought I was just done, especially at the seven-year mark. Uh, right around the seven-year mark, uh, I was I was just burnt out. You know, I'd been running and gunning for quite a long time, uh, and a lot of our, our airmen have gone through this. Right, the first and comes up and on the first enlistment, it was that way. But I love the question of why did you stay? Because there becomes a point in time, and it was about that seven-year mark for me, seven eight-year mark for me. And we won't go into the details that, that I went into necessarily in the classroom, and, and and don't want things taken out of context by any means. Let's just say I was faced with. A lot of adversity, and, and I, I got to experience some things uh, that at the time I thought were very, very bad. I thought that were, you know, uh, insurmountable. But looking back, uh, after I spent some time of introspection, I got to see, and so with some help of other people, you know, kind of point me in the direction of like, hey, look, you were the calm in that storm. I think you were just probably built for this type of lifestyle. Uh, and so taking some, having some introspection, right, and looking at it, I, I realized that I was part of the profession of arms. And so I don't know how this necessarily marries in with your organization, how this, you know, uh, fits for your type of, of structure. But in the United States military and anything that's similar to that, you're part of a profession. You become a professional within that profession. And for us, for me, it's professional arms. And I, and I took a look at it and I said, you know, even in my worst times, even in my darkest times, the, the worst days, uh, there's still a lot that I have to give. There's a lot that I have been given. There's a lot I have been entrusted with. And, and I want to make sure that I'm giving that back. And then, so when you look at that, as you kind of just continue to multiply that, up, you know, year after year, month after month, and et cetera, you know, I found myself at 21 years now. And uh, what keeps me motivated? What keeps my passion and my inspiration up? Well, obviously, that's that's my family. That's my why. You know, my family is my why. I want to create a remarkable experience for those so that they know that they matter, that, that I can improve and inspire and enrich their lives. That's my why. That's why I exist. And that can be with 100% with my family and those that I also serve with. So at the end of the day, when you feel like, hey, I'm done with this, why? I ask you to ask a question, right? You ask me a question, I'm going to return it with a question. Why do you feel done? Do you feel mistreated? Uh, do you feel beat down? Do you feel unappreciated? Uh, are you tired physically, mentally? Um, you know, psychologically, where are you at? Emotionally, where are you at? Let's do some introspection. So when you throw your hands up and say, hey, I'm done, whether it's physically you're throwing your hands up or not, I would ask you with some introspection, uh, employ some introspection, if you will, and, and why are you done? Do you have something left to give? How many people, how many different uh, leaders within your past have poured into you, have given you opportunities. How many of those uh, opportunities that maybe didn't look like an opportunity at the time have developed experience or given you the opportunity to have experience that you cannot test for? You can read all the books in the world. You can listen to all the podcasts in the world. You can never 
find experience within those books or within the podcast. Sure, you can read about somebody else's experiences, but in, in order for you to have the experience yourself, you've got to go through it. You can watch all the film you want to. I'm a football guy, so you can watch all the film you want to on football or any other sport or any other thing in life. Guess what? At the end of the day, that doesn't make me a better defensive end. It might help, but it's not going to make me a defense. I have to get out on the field. I have to go through practice. I have to do all the two-a-days. I have to lift all the weights, do all the sprints, do all of the things a football player must do, especially with specifically in that position. And then I watch some film to get better with my technique, right? Or maybe this or that, those smaller things that lead to big things. But if I don't put in the work, guess what? I don't have the experience. I don't know what it's like to have an offensive tackle or a pulling guard knock, the, knock you senseless, right? You, unless you're on the field, that you don't understand that. So in the same sense, if all this experience that we have, are we not passing that on? Are we not passing that on to uh, the people that are coming behind us, whether it's a young airman that you're responsible to lead or, or whatever position that you're in? Are you just going to take your experience and bottle it up and just keep it with you and not share it? I'm not saying there are times where when you're emotionally or psychologically done, maybe you have reached the end of the path where you can no longer serve in a capacity which is, uh, you know, something that you enjoy doing, something that you can no longer do safely or, or whatever the case may be. But a lot of times in my experiences, when people tell me that, when we peel that onion back, so to speak, there's something a little more trivial than that that's actually causing them to be that way. Maybe they feel like they're not, uh, all the things we went through earlier, not getting the respect they need or the appreciation. But look, when you really start focusing on what you have left to give, that's why the people in the military, at least in my experience, stay as long as they do because they have passion to continue to share that experience. And listen, I've been in 21 years. I learned more this, this last year than I've learned in the 20 years, any one year in the 20 years leading up to that. Just, just a lot of things that you go through, you just like, you can't see it when you're going through it. I just ask you and encourage you to keep plugging, keep one foot in front of the other. And when you're going to get to the other side of that, you're going to look back and you're like, my goodness, not only did I gain experience there, I am now stronger psychologically, emotionally, and even physically, potentially stronger to press on. So when you get to that point where you say, I'm just done, put a up a mirror, have a conversation with yourself, ask why you are done. And are you ready to just throw your experience away instead of share it? How do you motivate a seasoned mid-level leader, senior NCO for the Air Force, to take the next step that isn't interested in doing that? So bottom line, they ask the question, hey, I've got a high-speed senior NCO. How do I motivate them to, you know, high-speed mass sergeant? How do I motivate them to be a senior mass sergeant? I think this is probably a really easy one for me, right? Uh, not probably really easy, but I think this is probably easy for everyone if we just slow down, pause, breathe through our nose, look at it for what it is. How many times, if we ask ourselves this question, how many times have you come across somebody that, that probably shouldn't be the rank that they are? Based on what you know and based on what they're showing you, right? Not that you're the judger of all things and all people, but you just kind of sit there and you're like, my goodness, how did you get in this position? Who lied on your performance report or who, who embellished your performance report, or de performance report or decoration? We've all been there. We've all seen this. So my advice to this crew of young leaders was, hey, here's the deal. Lay it out there for them. Uh, if you listen to the previous question, my, my response to the previous question, we talked about you know, your why and your experiences and things of that nature, right? So if, if you lay this out for this mass sergeant, it's a high-speed mass sergeant, and again, apply it to whatever level of organization that you're in, military or non-military, why, why do they not want the next step? If you sit down and be like, hey, you have great experience, you have great leadership potential, great leadership capacity, uh, we need people like you, we need airmen like you to lead the next generation of airmen. 
So you kind of lay it out for them and show them the left and right limits, the, the boundaries, if you will, the expectations of leadership in that position. And, and hey, let's be honest, let's talk about what, what that position is really going to bring. Senior mass sergeants is not a glorified master sergeant in the Air Force. You're really, really busy. Not that mass sergeants aren't, but senior mass sergeants, you get even more busy. And you have to have a more of a strategic mindset. So let's go ahead and be honest and talk about it. And let's ask them, hey, is this something you want to do? Or are you okay being that high-speed mass sergeant? And guess what, high-speed mass sergeant? You're not going to get the stratification pushes uh, if you're not willing to take this next step. And that's fine. And people will get upset when they hear me say that. And I ask you to just pause, breathe through your nose, and listen. Why would you get a stratification push if you're not willing and, to, and you don't want to take that next step to be the senior mass sergeant? Why do you want the one of whatever on your EPR when you're not ready to be a senior mass sergeant and actually go do the work? So that's why I say, hey, you know what? Too many times in the, in the military, we clap up and rank. You're really good at the job or the task or the position that you're in. Doesn't always mean that you're going to be great in the next one. So what is your potential? What's the potential to serve in the next high, higher grade? Maybe you see that high speed mass sergeant, quote unquote, that's really good at executing tasks at the tactical, maybe operational level. But are they ready to be a strategic leader? Maybe they don't want to. Maybe they don't have the desire to. So sit and chat with them, talk to them, have some real talk with them, and then lay it out there like, hey, look, guess what? If you don't want to take this route, that's fine. Still a, an immensely valued member of the team. But not, don't expect the stratification at the end of the day. For our civilian audience, it's a lot to get into to understand and, and, and uh, describe what stratifications are. Uh, apply this, I guess, to your civilian organization with someone that might be in a step promotion or promoting faster or above or below the zone for whatever your organization is laid out as the kind of the expectation. I know a lot of civilian organizations don't really have a promotion expectation system, uh, but just looking at it from that lens of someone that's, you know, hey, you know what, they're acting like they're the CEO. They're always always doing this, always doing that, always taking care of people. Um, so kind of associate it with that. In the military, we have individuals that you know meet that criteria. There's some set criteria that we won't go into. Uh, they meet all that criteria, and then they have that leadership potential that they're showing. Obviously, they, they're doing the job that they're in, but showing that potential, and then their leadership teams look to stratify them. It kind of sets them apart, right? So anyway, back to the heart of it. If you have one of those uh, mid-level leaders, uh, mass sergeants as you know, a, you know, a high-speed mass sergeant, a kick-butt mass sergeant, but they're not willing to take the next step, uh, that's fine. Right? We appreciate their service. We still need them to serve in that capacity. Not everybody's going to be a senior master. Not everybody's going to be a chief master. You know, that's one in two percent, right? So uh, not everyone's going to do that. And that's fine. But just be honest with them. Look, you don't want to take the next step. This is where the this is where that road ends on that stratification push and things of that nature. And continue to motivate them and give them opportunities within the areas that they're strong in and let them get after it. Talk us through the importance of the command team. I love this question and the young leaders that I was discussing uh, over lunch. Uh, this, these topics with, you know, they're, they're getting ready to some of them to take flight command. Some of them even are already in flight command. Some of them ready to take squadron command, potentially if they get ready to promote to major in the Air Force and things of that nature. And the command team is vitally important. So for our civilian audience, as a quick recap, command team is typically, not always right, but a typical organization would be your commander. Uh, which is an officer in the Air Force, uh, your senior enlisted leader, which could be anywhere from a master sergeant to a chief master sergeant. And if your organization rates one, a first sergeant, which is uh, kind of like your human resources on steroids, if you will, for our civilian corporations, um, a little more than that, but that kind of is one of the easiest ways to describe it. Um, and then sometimes you have an officer, a U.S. Or, uh, Air Force officer that's a, a DO or a duty officer sometimes, 
uh, or a deputy commander or a deputy director. And sometimes that position, if the, either one of them exists, uh, is also, a, or it could be a civilian. So that makes up your triad, a lot of times you call it. And then sometimes there's those extra positions I talked about. Deputy commander, deputy director could be uh, the fourth person. So anyway, that's your command team. And so the young leaders say, hey, I'm getting ready to go into these, uh, potentially these command team structure. Uh, what, how important is that? And that's vitally important. So this is probably mostly geared towards United, United States Air Force military, so to speak. Um, but civilian corporations, people listening from the civilian sector can apply it if you just look at it from a, like a team dynamics, if you will, right? Uh, so for our, for our Air Force, for our Airmen, it is vitally important. Relationships are vitally important. Some of the command teams that I've been on, I'm, I'm best friends with them. Best friends with that first sergeant, best friends with, with the commander, you know, really good friends with the commanders. Really, it all comes down to relationship. If you can't make that relationship work, you don't want to make that relationship work, you don't try to make that relationship work, uh, then it's not gonna work. If you, and you also have to have grace and you also have to have mercy and forgiveness. Typical things that you would always need in, in any type of relationship, but this in this professional relationship, that you need to rely on one another. So when you're as a commander, you're having the burden of command, you're having to make these command level decisions, you want to be able to have those senior enlisted, uh, the first sergeant and the senior enlisted leader uh, at your side to be able to give you the feedback and the advice that you need uh, that affects the, your force. And in the Air Force, the majority of the force and the majority of the organizations uh, is enlisted. So that's why you have those, those two members there to provide that level of advice uh, and counsel, sage counsel. Now that doesn't mean that the senior enlisted, uh, you know, you have to be careful with this too, right? There might be somebody out there that just thinks they want it their way and their way only, and that they, they've been a chief for X amount of years, they've been a senior NCO for X amount of years, that you're a first time commander and you just don't understand this. That, let's not get that twisted. The commander is in command. They're the ones making the decisions. That's why you're called a, a senior enlisted leader or advisor, right? You're not, you're not the senior enlisted commander. You're not out commanding the show. But from a commander's perspective, let's have a little bit of humble pie, right? You know, so let's let's make sure that we're not up on a pedestal. Let's make sure that we're actually listening to that counsel, listening to that advice, because these senior enlisted leaders bring a lot of experience, as we talked about in a couple of responses to questions before earlier in this podcast. They have a lot of experience to bring to the table, and you have to have a good relationship. And why do you say, Chief, that you have to have mercy and grace and, and forgiveness? Well, guess what? We're all human. Right, we're gonna make mistakes. We're gonna we're gonna say something or do something that offends the other person without intending to, not even thinking about it. Right. So, are you gonna hold a grudge against someone, or are you gonna say, you know what, I know that person's heart. I've seen them in action. Uh, you know, they probably didn't mean it the way I took it. Let's go have a conversation about it. Let's not accuse. Let's ask questions. Hey, first sergeant, is I noticed that this was the behavior. Um, or this was a situation, this was a behavior, and this was the impact. So the SBI feedback model, if you will. Here's how it made me feel. Here's how I took it. What were we trying to accomplish here? So just again, relationship is key, right? Respect. You got to respect each other. You have to have a mutual respect. Nobody's more important than the other person. You Guess what? At this point in the stage of the game, you all know who's running the show. It's the commander, right? You don't have to come in and tell everybody you're commanding. We all know that, right? You can see the insignias, right? That's, it's not that hard to figure that out. So lead with humility, right? And, and listen with an open perspective. And then that goes across all ranks, right? So if you're that senior enlisted leader on that team, hey, you got to come in with humility as well. You might have five or 10 years more experience. But that should also teach you that you don't come in like a like a you know a wrecking ball, right? You're not just going in there and just going to rattle things up and shake things up and do it your way, 
right? Because at the end of the day, it's the commander's job. So anyway, might be a little bit harder to apply that from a civilian corporation standpoint, other than just having good team dynamics. That's what it does really at the end of the day, comes down to good team dynamics, treating each other with, with care, uh, love, honestly, and respect. Well, that wraps it up for this edition of Real Talk Brief. Modified edition, maybe? I don't know. Call it whatever you want to call it. I had a blast sitting down uh, chatting with our, our company grade officers, our, our newest uh, leaders in joining the command ranks, uh, squadron command ranks within the Air Force, or at least some of them will be. Uh, so anyway, it was a blast for me to sit down. Just wanted to share this because it was such a great conversation that I was able to have with them. I really believe that it'll help you as you pull through each one of these responses and, and sit down with your team and have a good, uh, open-minded, open-hearted conversation with the level of importance of each one of these and just getting to know your team better. Hey, fam, that's all for today. Y'all know the deal. Around here, we keep it real. We out.